Welcome to Elixir Mix, your Elixir podcast talking with members of the community. My name is Mark Erickson, and today we're joined by Josh Adams. Hey there. Eric Ostrich. Howdy. Sophie DiBenedetto. Hi. And today we have our special guest, Alec Kutmos. Alec, uh, Alex, thank you for joining us. And uh, we'd love to kind of give a little background on where you work and what kind of problems you're solving. Yeah, sure thing. Glad to be here. Uh, so I'm currently a senior software engineer at a company called uh, Bridge Connector. Uh, Bridge Connector operates in the healthcare space and we help our customers uh, with their various data integration needs. Um, so what this means is we help uh, our customers integrate their disparate data systems if they want to move data across uh, various uh, systems to other systems, um, you know, we, we kind of help with that. And the common use case, say, is they have data inside of an EHR and they want to get it to like a CRM, like Salesforce type of thing. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. Nice. I expect that's a common situation that a lot of companies have is needing to move uh, data from one system into like a CMS that, that, your, that drives your sales and marketing and, and organization. So that's great. And uh, I was wondering now, so we are happy to have you on and talk about two technologies I think are both very cool. So one is Broadway, and we've talked about that previously. And uh, then the other one is RabbitMQ. And RabbitMQ is an awesome Erlang. Uh, it's written in Erlang. It's a tool that's used as a queue. Uh, lots of different systems. You don't have to use Erlang or Elixir to benefit from it. And you've written some awesome articles on how the two can be paired together. So maybe you could give us a little background on uh, what you were doing and, and how this works. Yeah, sure thing. So yeah, Broadway is a uh, library in Elixir where you can create uh, highly concurrent uh, data processing pipelines. And uh, it's actually built on top of GenStage. So you get a lot of the uh, abstractions that are available to you in GenStage kind of for free in, uh, in Broadway. So you get uh, back, back pressure uh, for free so you don't uh, overflow the pipelines with, uh, with too many messages. Uh, it's kind of consumer-driven uh, uh, pipeline versus the publishers are just uh, forwarding messages as fast as they can and consumers can't keep up. Um, so what Broadway does is it gives you that abstraction where it'll uh, automatically create all of your supervision trees and uh, you know set up all the uh, um, you know the failure states and all that for you and then all you have to do is provide a couple of callbacks and your um, you know, that's where you keep all your business logic and then, you know, voila, you have a highly concurrent data processing pipeline. So I assume you were creating this not just as a uh, side, you know, personal project. I want to see if I can make this happen. This is probably something you're actually using at work. Is that right? Uh, yes, yeah, so it's actually a bit of both. Yeah. So actually the, the, um, uh, the blog post article that I wrote came out first and then we started leveraging it at work. It was more of like a proof of concept. And then it uh, you know, proved fruitful. And then we decided to also leverage it. Uh, how, for how has that gone? Uh, for the work. side work or for work work? No, at, at work work. Oh, it's been going really well. Um, yeah, we've been we've been uh, able to get a lot of uh, throughput uh, via Broadway. You know, not a lot of issues getting it set up or running. Uh, you know, no no hiccups necessarily. Uh, what kind of throughput of messages are you seeing? Uh, so in in production, we're it's kind of sparse depending on on who's leveraging the new platform that's written in Elixir and Broadway and who's using the other stuff. So we haven't really pushed the, the limits of what we currently have. Okay, so still waiting to flex. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. 
So I'm curious, uh, with your production system, it sounds like you have a number of, it's not just Elixir that's, that's running your backend systems. You know, obviously you have like this, you know, other CMSs and stuff. But uh, so is Rabbit something that you anticipate being more of a bridge between multiple systems? Is that something you're looking at doing? Yeah, so we currently leverage um, uh, RabbitMQ as kind of the um, asynchronous communication channel. So if uh, microservices on the back end need to talk to each other, you know, we expose uh, private endpoints for internal communication and one service can talk to another if it needs uh, some piece of data and that's a synchronous kind of operation. But uh, anytime it comes for uh, um, asynchronous communication, we usually put messages in RabbitMQ and the various services know what uh, exchanges to write to and then what queues to read out of. Was it so having a, a microservice kind of architecture in the back end? I think that's helpful for being able to bring in new technologies. Is how was Elixir brought in to the company? Like, was there already something existing there? And it's like, hey, I see Elixir can help solve some problems. Let's try that out. Is that how you're able to fit things in? Uh, so actually, when I started, the, the Elixir services are already up and running. Um, but I think there was a need to move from what was existing. To Elixir because with uh, you know with all these concurrent uh, effectively ETL pipelines running on the various systems, you needed a language and a runtime where concurrency was a was a first class citizen. So that was uh, it was it was very much driven from a business need. Nice, and so I would love to jump into some of the the content of your articles. So you have uh, part one and part two of your articles. I think they're really well laid out. So we're going to have links to those in the show notes. Please check those out. Uh, but maybe you can kind of. Uh, let the listener know what kinds of information they might find there uh, and and just kind of get us started there. Yeah, sure thing. So in the in the two-part series, uh, it's it walks you through putting together a sample project where you're fetching every single Hacker News item uh, from their Firebase API from, I think, uh, when was Elixir announced by Jose? 2011, uh, July 2011, something like that. But in any case, you're getting every single Hacker News message from that first message that Jose uh, published up to you know today, and then you're running some analytics on it and saying where or in which uh, posts is uh, Elixir Erlang coming up, and you kind of plot that trend over time to see how the popularity of uh, of Elixir and Erlang has uh, trended over time. I think that's really cool because I also love like uh, you you deal with uh, not just like how do I make this actually work, but then how do I monitor it, and how do I get uh, visualize what's going on. So you're using like uh, Prometheus and Grafana. And I just think that's awesome because like, you know, I think there's a, there is certainly a place for articles and content that helps us just kind of get over that mental hurdle or that, that first steps to getting into a new technology. I just love that you, it felt like you went a few extra steps beyond that to kind of really help see uh, how I could actually make and leverage this in my own systems. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Try to make it as, as real world as possible. And in the real world, you, know, you want to make sure that your pipelines are uh, operating as you expect. And without uh, telemetry and metrics in place, it's kind of tough to see you know, whether there's a bottleneck, whether you're not processing any messages and that's unexpected. Um, and then you could alert on those, um, those data yeah. points. Yeah, but if you don't put telemetry in place, then nobody gets paged at 2 a.m. <laughs> uh, that is true, yes. Because no one yeah. knows it's not working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, some people will be happy with telemetry in place and other people won't be happy. You can't always please everyone. <laughs> Just gotta leave a fire extinguisher right as you right by the doorway for when you walk in. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, what was it like then uh, getting your system to talk to RabbitMQ from Broadway? Were, were there already uh, producers 
or subscribers that were already available or did you have to create anything? What was that like? Yeah, luckily RabbitMQ is uh, maintained uh, you know, by the team that maintains Broadway as well. So it's a, it's a first, uh, first party package. And I think they support, uh, so RabbitMQ, Kafka, uh, Google PubSub, and then um, uh, AWS uh, SQS. And then anything that's um, like a third party producer, I think, they, I think the nomenclature is to put it like off Broadway underscore and then the name of the producer. But uh, I haven't reached for those tools yet. I've been pretty happy with just the the RabbitMQ one and the SQS one. Uh, have you guys run into in production any bottlenecking or you know downed workers that you were able to act on because of some of your monitoring? And I'm always just curious to hear about you know what's gone wrong or what's been sticky with Broadway. If anything, maybe it's all been smooth sailing. Yeah, I'd say the the toughest part about Broadway was actually um, uh, getting it running in a in a production context, and it wasn't necessarily Broadway's fault. So Broadway, uh, you know, we leverage Rabbit and the RabbitMQ producer, but then under the hood, the RabbitMQ producer leverages the AMQP library, and it turns out um, if you don't configure the port as an integer, you get a really cryptic uh, Erlang uh, error. And so when we built our mixed release and we had everything set up with uh, with the uh, environment variables that port was coming in as a string. And so it was something that was coming up in production, but not locally. But uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, I have a PR open to uh, AMQP to kind of uh, alleviate that problem. So hopefully that gets merged then. Very cool. Um, that actually has 100% happened to me. So yeah, sounds familiar. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, yeah. I'll yeah. say, yeah, the error messages aren't the most useful thing in the world for, for that case, unfortunately. Totally, totally. Uh, yeah, I think something that team that I used to work on that worked a lot with uh, RabbitMQ and, and Elixir and Ruby that we ran into was, uh, and this is kind of like the fault, so to speak, of application code, not so much a fault inherently of RabbitMQ, but we would run into these like super sneaky bottlenecks that would happen because we were not acting messages, but we didn't realize that we weren't acting messages, like, you know, some whatever loophole and some arcane like logic pathway that would rarely get hit would get hit and then you wouldn't act messages and we would have this queue back up and we had to kind of reason about how we would avoid that happening in the future so i was reading in your articles that broadway i think ensures that messages are act is that right yep yeah that's one of the yeah that's one of the things that broadway uh, uh provides for you so after your message gets processed it'll get act uh, and then one of the callbacks that's part of the Broadway behaviors, uh, I think it's, it's either handle failure or handle failed. And then mm -hmm. if uh, you know, your messages are you know, badly formatted or the data in there causes some kind of problem, you can, you can act upon that and either queue it somewhere else or persist it for later processing or, or debugging or whatnot. So yeah, mm -hmm. luckily, yeah, Broadway makes it pretty easy to, to not have those issues of uh, messages continuously going back on the queue because they, they fail processing. Yeah, I think one of the things that makes Elixir in my mind just like such a great fit for working with Rabbit in particular is when we're writing Elixir, we're really thinking about failure first and that mindset really takes over because the tooling is really there for you to think and work that way. Uh, so even if it isn't built into Broadway, which it sounds like it certainly is, it just makes it, it's like failure is a first class citizen and you're designing your messaging system with that in mind, whereas uh, you know, full disclosure, the bottlenecks we ran into happened like on the Ruby side of the world. And again, you know, it's on us. We wrote code that allowed this to happen, but I think it's, it's easier to forget about that stuff and, and not to put that first in your planning and your designing when you're not working with a language like Elixir. Yeah, it's absolutely. nice to have uh, an abstraction to handle that bit for us. 
Did you guys have something in place in Elixir that was interacting with Rabbit before you reached for Broadway? I know Broadway is relatively new. Uh, so we also made use of uh, GenRMQ. Um, so actually for the, uh, the message producing side, we actually still leverage uh, GenRMQ just because it's nice enough to keep a, a valid connection and a ch channel open. Um, and then uh, it takes care of a lot of those, those publishing uh, boilerplate things that you don't want to deal with. So we still leverage that. And we did use it for consuming, but then we, we switched over to uh, Broadway. One of the biggest pain points that I find as I talk to people about software is deployment. It's really interesting to have the conversations with people where it's, I don't want to deal with Docker. I don't want to deal with Kubernetes. I don't want to deal with setting up servers. I don't, you know, all of these different things. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has gotten a lot easier. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has also kind of embraced a certain amount of culture around applications the way we build them, the way we deploy them. And I've really felt for a long time that developers need to have the conversations with DevOps or adopt some form of DevOps so that they can take control of what they're doing and really understand when things go to production, what's going on, so that they can help debug the issues and fix the issues and find the issues when they go wrong and help streamline things and make things better and slicker and easier so that they'll more generally go right. So we started a podcast called Adventures in DevOps. And I pulled in one of the hosts from one of my favorite DevOps shows, Nell Shamrell Harrington from the Food Fight Show. And we got things rolling there. And so this is more or less a continuation of the Food Fight Show where we're talking about the things that go into DevOps. So if you're struggling with any of these operational type things, then definitely check out Adventures in DevOps. And you can find it at adventuresindevopspodcast.com. So what made Broadway the go-to for you guys if you already have, you know, Southern Library in the mix? What's so great about Broadway? Yeah, I think the, the, you know, the ability to fine-tune, uh, you know, the level of concurrency and then those, um, you know, those, be, those behaviors that are, or the, the behaviors that are in, in Broadway for handling batches or handling failures uh, or just something that really fit with the problem that we're trying to solve. So, so I think that leads well into a, a question I had, which was just kind of understanding uh, getting a mental picture of what you've got uh, with how many stages, how many producers, uh, how many consumers. Because, you know, uh, if people have seen some of the presentations about Gen Stage you real, or, and Broadway specifically, uh, you realize you can have multiple, like you can have a producer and multiple intermediate stages and then an end consumer. And, uh, but you don't have to have all these different layers. I was just curious, like, what, if you can kind of draw a mental picture for us about like, what this one looks like that you have in your article here. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so in the um, uh, in the blog tutorial, um, RabbitMQ is used for the intermediary, uh, intermediary uh, message broker for all these steps. So the first uh, the first part of the pipeline is a uh, gen server that uh, continuously generates hacker news IDs so that we can uh, process them. Those then find their way to RabbitMQ, and there's a Broadway consumer that'll fetch those things out of RabbitMQ, uh, make an HTTP call to the hacker news uh, Firebase API, get the payload. And then that entire payload goes back into RabbitMQ. Uh, and then there's another Broadway uh, consumer on the other side of that that'll fetch those Hacker News uh, payloads and then run some, uh, some regex and, and see where Erlang and Elixir pop up. And then there's a batching. I think there's a batching step where it'll batch right to the database all the counts of uh, Elixir and Erlang strings in the, in the payload. So yeah, like you said, you don't, you don't necessarily have to use uh, you know, GenStage or Broadway um, uh, intermediary steps, you could use, you could still leverage RabbitMQ as the, um, the message broker there.
That's cool. I just want to make sure uh, also that you, dear listener, understand that and just kind of appreciate that Broadway and, and Gen Stage does not have to be uh, a, a very complex process. You can have a single producer and like three consumers. And so you've just basically said, I have one way of obtaining uh, the work items that could be pulled from a database, could be pulled from like a website, uh, wherever, and then I can have multiple workers. And so it's like a worker pool is kind of what, like what that is. Um, so you can start using it uh, in a very simple way and start leveraging, uh, you know, being able to do a concurrent pipeline of work and being able to split that out and, and be able to leverage multiple cores and, and really, you know, take advantage of the hardware that you're running on. Uh, and then as you grow and as you start to tune and you start to say, hey, well, if we massage the data a little bit more in this location, uh, it, we can better process it. And, and, and then, yeah, you can add more stages. So I, I just think that's an awesome feature of Broadway that, that you have this ability to kind of tune it really to what makes sense for your situation, your, your problem. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a tool where it can be as simple as you want it to be or as complex as you want it to be. And it'll, it'll grow with you and it'll kind of, uh, you know, facilitate any kind of business uh, use case that you're trying to implement there. So one of the things that I, I'm most interested in or curious about is um, for local development, do you need to have RabbitMQ spun up? Is there a, a like just in-memory version for development? Yeah, so for, for my typical development flow, I'll use uh, Docker Compose. And um, you know, the really nice thing about Docker Compose is it's, it's ridiculously easy to spin up uh, dependent services. So kind of you know, the same way you would have, uh, you know, Postgres running alongside your Phoenix app or whatnot. Um, you know, I would just have another entry in my Docker Compose that says also spin up RabbitMQ. And then um, there's a couple of mounted volumes there. And I, I think I actually go through it in the tutorial where um, if you want to have extensions to RabbitMQ, like the Prometheus uh, extension, um, you, you just define that in a file and then mount it as a volume and RabbitMQ will, uh, will spin up that extension on, on an it. Yeah, I would definitely uh, suggest, dear listener, to check out that first part one of the article where he does have the entire Docker Compose there, uh, you know, which sets up, uh, you know, RabbitMQ, Postgres, Postgres exporters, Grafana, Prometheus, and, and volumes. And so, like, I, I actually like doing that as a, uh, a solution for my local dev as well, just because our system, we have, like, a, a monolithic Rails app and an Elixir app that is kind of slowly replacing it as we kind of rewrite and update things and uh, convert them over. So we're dealing with uh, legacy systems and uh, using Docker Compose to bring up uh, a Redis server, a MySQL server for some of the Rails stuff, a Postgres database for uh, some of the, the other, the, the newer stuff as we migrate things over. Uh, and just making sure that everything is the correct version that I want it to be in, instead of what the OS would install by default if I just said, you know, install Postgres. So I, I, I love that as a solution. And I just love that you have the Docker Compose there and you kind of explain even how to do that. Uh, so that's a, a great tool to just be able to uh, kind of put together more complex systems. So I was also kind of following on some of that. Um, the same question is like for local dev is like, how does it affect testing? Do you try to even test something that is like a full integration all the way through the chain with all the different pieces? Or do you test more kind of unit style, like focused on the, the different pieces? And how do you approach that? 
Yeah, sure. Um, so for testing, uh, we've currently been uh, testing with the you know the full stack of services. So there'll be Postgres, and then we leverage uh, Ecto Sandbox for Postgres uh, tests. Um, and then for uh, Broadway style tests, we you know we, we mark those as async false in X unit, so they run you know one at a time. And then it's just a matter of making sure that messages that get published there get cleaned up. Uh, you know, we, we kind of um, it's it's deterministic in the fact that we know how many messages we publish, so we know what we're expecting back, and we can kind of assert on that. Um, yeah, that's that's definitely testing is definitely something I want to uh, clean up and find maybe a better solution for than that. I would love to see a blog post. Duly noted. <laughs> Part three. Your blog post talks about you know monitoring with Prometheus and Gravana, which you know. I was also really happy to see in there because it's the kind of thing that, especially in a lot of technical posts, unless that's the focus of the post, like how to set up Prometheus, you know, it's not really going to come up. Um, but one of the things I feel like has been kind of a pain point for teams that I've been on in the past when working with Rabbit is just this lack of visibility into the messages that are on the wire. And I'm curious if that's something that you guys have felt or experienced. And does Broadway in particular add any helpful logging to the mix that Let's you peek in there. Yeah, sure. Um, so, given that we're in the healthcare space, we have to be very careful with uh, EHR data. So we don't, uh, you know, we don't typically log, you know, full payloads that we get. Uh, you know, we don't want those things finding their way to Kibana or whatnot. Broadway offers uh, uh, telemetry integration now. I don't think there's been a release cut as of today that has uh, telemetry in there, but I've actually contributed back to Broadway, and there's uh, telemetry events emitted now per message coming in. So if you if you're familiar with telemetry, you can attach to a particular uh, event, and then you could uh, you know log how long did it take to process that message, what was the payload like, you know all kinds of uh, of data there, uh, and then you could eventually bubble those things up to uh, Prometheus. That actually reminds me of another question I have, which is um, what does Broadway do if anything with messages before enqueuing them in Rabbit or sending them off to SQS? Are they encoded is it just json what's what's going on there yeah, yeah. so broadway is pretty agnostic to the payload coming in uh, i think it uh, kind of delegates that responsibility to the developer so for the um the hacker news style tutorial i was just sending the idea of the hacker news uh, entry as plain text in one part of the the pipeline and then the second part of the pipeline where it was fetching the payload from the firebase api uh, and then publishing it back to RabbitMQ, I think I was putting that as JSON. But um, yeah, I mean, how you, how you deal with the payload is totally up to you. You could leverage, I think there's the content type and content encoding uh, headers in RabbitMQ, but kind of like HTTP, you can you could set those, but you don't, it's not mandatory and uh, it's kind of on the consuming end how you, how you deal with that. And I was just curious if you have kind of developed a feel or a heuristic for when you think Broadway is a good tool to reach for. Like how would... How would uh, uh, someone know, like, ah, this is this right here might be a good situation and good opportunity to use Broadway? Yeah. Um, so anytime you have some sort of uh, asynchronous communication or like a work queue pattern, uh, I mean, Broadway is a very, very good fit there. So if you're using, um, you know, RabbitMQ to queue up work and then that needs to be processed down the line, Broadway is a good fit there. Uh, for, you know, for publishing, we, we generally rely on GenRMQ, as far as I know, the RabbitMQ Broadway library doesn't provide any any kind of publishing support. Uh, maybe I missed it. Maybe it does exist. But um, yeah, any anytime you need to leverage uh, like a work queue model, Broadway fits there. If you need to do synchronous communication, 
uh, you could use gRPC, HTTP, you know, kind of uh, pick your, your protocol of choice there. Nice. And I was curious, uh, as you've kind of gone through this whole learning process and then seeing uh, kind of doing the proof of concept yourself and then advocating for the technology inside your uh, work office environment and then getting the adoption and getting it deployed, uh, is there, what, what would you feel that you are most proud of that you've accomplished with this, this system and this, uh, this solution that you have now in place? Uh, I think I'm most happy about how, um, how easy it was to actually put it all together and write about it. And uh, I've gotten quite a few comments on, uh, on the Elixir forum and PMs on Elixir forum where people have been leveraging this and they have questions about the Docker Compose stack. So it seems like it's, it's very easily, you know, easy to set this stuff up and, and to get it running versus some like nebulous technology where it takes, you know, weeks and weeks to kind of unravel it and put it together and actually get it to, you know, process your first message. Uh, what would be the, so if, if you're starting to have um, issues publishing to, or just kind of any kind of issues with, with RabbitMQ and, and bet between RabbitMQ and Broadway, is, is there any way that you have gone about debugging kind of those connection issues or, I don't know, coding issues or, I don't know, just any kind of, like, how do you help debug uh, RabbitMQ? Yeah, sure. Uh, so there's a couple things you could uh, you could do there. Um, so if you have you know Prometheus in place and, and Grafana, you could set up alerting. Um, you know, if uh, if you're expecting to have traffic and there's nothing going through there, you know something might be going on. You know, the other thing is to have uh, you know something like Sentry up and running for your Elixir app. So you'll get uh, you'll get uh, uh, error logs if you're having trouble connecting to RabbitMQ. Um, and then another thing that we've leveraged is uh, if you're using mixed releases. Setting up a remote, uh, you know, IEX session with a running node um, is super helpful because then you could actually interface with your modules. You know, if you have like a simple, uh, you know, connect function, you could say, "Hey, what's this error coming back? Why am I not connecting?" And that's actually how we debug the you know, previously mentioned AMQP integer port problem, where we were, yeah, we, we had a a uh, IEX session set up and we we're trying to connect, but then couldn't, and yeah, we use that to figure it out. Well, thank you, Alex, for coming on and talking with us and sharing this information. Uh, particularly, I appreciate the time and effort you put into the blog posts, as that is long-running information that can be shared and accessed uh, by the community broadly uh, throughout, you know, coming months and years. Uh, so I appreciate uh, people who make that effort. Is there, anything else, is there anything else you want to mention before we go to picks? Um, yeah, the only thing I'll mention is that the uh, the... Prometheus exporter is now part of uh, RabbitMQ. I think it was version 3.8. Uh, so in the past, you would have to leverage uh, the RabbitMQ exporter, which I think was a third-party package. But now it's uh, you know even easier to monitor RabbitMQ, given that it's now part of, of, uh, of Rabbit. So just a final plug there. That is really cool. Yeah, because uh, it's interesting how different uh, DevOps-style tools like Prometheus kind of gain in popularity. And then you have these uh, projects like uh, RabbitMQ and which have been around for a long time, and they, uh, you know, they they kind of end up adding tooling in to help with the deployment and maintenance of those in in production systems. So that's I'm glad to hear that. That's great. Are you freelancing or moonlighting, or maybe you've thought about going out on your own? Every week we have a group of developers at various stages of the freelancing journey on the Freelancer Show to talk about becoming better at freelancing. We also bring in experts to talk about marketing, SEO, and delivering high quality to clients. So if you're interested in going freelance or you are freelance, check it out at freelancershow.com. All right, well, let's transition to picks. 
I'll actually have one important and hard-hitting question that we didn't have a chance to get to. Uh, I noticed on your website, you mentioned you have a shy dog and my dog is becoming more shy and increasingly strange with every passing day. So any shy dog tips would be very much appreciated. Yeah, sure. I, yeah, I don't know where to start with that one. <laughs> uh, so we used to live in a, in a city. Uh, we were in uh, the Bay Area. And uh, he did terribly in the city. And I think I think we kind of broke him <laughs> with with living, uh, you know, living near, uh, yeah. you know, small children riding around on bicycles and scooters and stuff like that. So I think he's got, Terrifying. yeah, I think he's got PTSD from that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, after moving to the sticks where he's got a huge yard to play in, uh, you know, some of his problems have gone away. <laughs> so uh, I think a big yard to to play fetch in is a good uh, <laughs> a good prescription. Good to know. Yeah, my dog is a huge fan of Fetch. He's a very classic dog in that sense. He just wants you to throw sticks. Yeah, ours is uh, a hunting dog. Well, he should be a hunting dog, but I don't think he's got a brave bone in his body. So <laughs> we still love him, though. Awesome. Now, if you guys, if you, dear listener, haven't seen any of Sophie's uh, presentations that she's given at different Elixir conferences, her dog always is featured in some aspect. And it's very cute little uh, graphics and everything. It's, it's awesome. Appreciate that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go to picks. Josh, do you have one? I have two. So the first is IndieWeb, which is just, um, it is a collection of people doing stuff that feels like the old internet that I liked a lot. Uh, it's about making your content yours and it uses, they, they take advantage of new uh, web technologies like um, web mentions. It's not super duper new, but pretty new. Uh, anyway, really, really cool. And there's also a site that I found that sort of introduced me to it called kickscondor.com. And it's just, uh, it's a fantastic experience. So just a website that's cool. Anyway, also Keycloak, which is an open source identity and access management system. So uh, I am about to implement this as just an identity layer um, for my new company. So uh, it's neat. And I wanted to tell people about it. Nice. Cool. Eric, how about you? Uh, so my pick will be a book. Um, this is called "This is Postmortems" by Raf Koster. Um, so this is a selected. This is basically his blog bundled up into a book, uh, but his blog over like twenty years of game design stuff. So this kind of covers when he started in in Muds, of course, uh, and then he transitioned into more. I uh, did Ultima Online, and then Star Wars Galaxies, and kind of this weird Facebook thing that he was, and then kind of like going forward into the future. So this is a, a really cool book if you're just interested in the history of like MMOs and whatnot. Cool. Sophie, how about you? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think probably a lot of us have this problem where we're getting inundated with like a million emails a day from GitHub notifications and it's hard to filter out, you know, what you actually need to pay attention to. And what I used to do is I would just keep as many tabs open as I needed for like any in-flight PRs or issues that I wanted to not forget about, which is not a great idea. So a coworker of mine suggested uh, there's this script you can install into your Gmail. I'll share a link to it. It's called Octogas. And what it does is you configure it with like the teams and organizations that you care about or that you're a part of. And it will sort of automatically label and filter all the incoming GitHub emails. And you can actually see, you know, what you need to care about, what uh, you're being direct mentioned in, what is about a PR or something that you're the author of. And it's been super helpful. The best part was getting to choose the colors for all my new Gmail labels. Um, that was a beautiful adventure. And my other pick, uh, 
which is like becoming a tradition of mine is a non-technical one. So I don't know if anybody uh, who's listening enjoys baking, but I've made a few cakes lately. I promised a friend of mine I would make her a birthday cake. And one of the things that's very annoying about making cakes where you have multiple layers is that the cake always bakes with kind of like a domed top, like it sort of rises up into a dome. And then you have to take a knife and sort of painstakingly try to level out this cake, which I'm really not like a baking expert and I'm not great at that. But apparently there's this thing that you just Velcro around a cake pan when you bake it and it makes perfectly flat cake. And I haven't received it yet, but I did order it on Amazon and I'm very excited to see if it could possibly work. Uh, very cool. I, I will say uh, my wife and I really enjoyed watching um, the Great British Bake Off uh, show. It's Yeah, it's fun. It's, it's really it's soothing. Like if you're having a bad day, <laughs> it, it won't fail to cheer you up. Yep. So I've got two. My first pick is a an article from Sasha Yurik. So Sasha Yurik is uh, you know a, the author of Elixir in Action and uh, it does an awesome job really kind of detailing how to write a simple periodic background worker that fits the needs that you have for your application right now. So there are obviously other uh, projects like Oban and others that, uh, that are much more involved with background working and queues and things like that. And the point he's making is that uh, oftentimes we only need to do for our product or project, it only needs to do this small uh, scope of work. And so he kind of goes through how to build something like that, that, that does this. I've actually done something very similar to this on previous projects I've worked on. And, and what, that's what I love about Elixir is you have the flexibility and the primitives already built into the beam to be able to do these things. And I just think it's great. So it's a great article. I can check that out. The other one I have is uh, the show Star Trek Picard. So that is a, if you are a Star Trek fan, it is on CBS All Access. Otherwise, I would encourage you to check out, it says uh, episode one is for a limited time on YouTube right now. So you can check that out and just see if that's something that's interesting to you. Um, I don't know how long it'll be available online. The other thing I would say is uh, if you are outside of the US, then you are able to apparently see it on Amazon Prime. and. If you were to use a VPN and change your location, then you might be able to see that as well. So some, I think it's, uh, I really enjoyed episodes one and two. So just want to mention that. Ditto. All right, Alex, how about you? So I've actually got uh, three picks. So the first one is a book called uh, Database Internals. And uh, like the title implies, uh, it dives, uh, it deep dives into how databases are are uh, structured, what kinds of uh, data structures are they're using internally, you know, what, uh, what data structures are applicable to databases that, uh, you know, primarily run in RAM, which ones are applicable to ones that persist to disk. And so it's been a very, very interesting book. Uh, definitely, definitely recommend it. My next pick is a website called Linux Academy. So for, for bolstering my uh, DevOps uh, chops, uh, I actually take quite a few of their courses. Uh, and it's really nice because there'll be a uh, a lecture, and then you'll have a VM that they provide for you with all the tools necessary, and then you can you know, kind of use that as your sandbox. You don't have to worry about messing up anything because you know after you're done with the course, the VM gets blown away, so you don't have to worry about messing up your your personal machine. So I, I found that to be a really really good uh, learning resource. Uh, and then the last one is uh, KiwiCo. Uh, so we have a five-year-old who loves to build stuff, and so we, you know we get the uh, you know connects and, and Legos and Lincoln logs and stuff like that. 
but uh, we also leverage Cubico. Uh, There's a box that comes in, I think it's once a month or once every two weeks, can't remember now. But the uh, box comes in with a bunch of crafts and she has a blast uh, building them. And I think the last project was like a catapult that we put together. So definitely, definitely recommend that if you have kids. Very cool. Well, Alex, thank you for coming on. I had a lot of fun talking about these uh, awesome technologies and the blog post that you put together. Uh, if people would like to follow you online or connect with you, where should they go to do that? Uh, so I'm pretty much a Kutmos everywhere you look. So on uh, Twitter, it's a k o u t m o s. Same thing on GitHub, uh, and then my blog post or my blog uh, is also a k o u t m o s uh, dot com. So. Great, and we have links to that in the show notes. Please check that out. That's it for today. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time on Elixir Mix. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.